0: Coronavirus NZ, a daily stuff podcast. Oh, actually, we need to make a note of that.
1: Yeah, good point. Can't say daily anymore. Yeah, we better record a new sting. Put that on your little list of jobs for the weekend, Adam. All right. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Friday the 15th of May. I'm Adam Dudding.
0: And I'm Eugene Bingham. Each day we bring you the main headlines, take a look at some of the weird and wonderful aspects of this crisis, and then focus on one topic.
1: So yeah, as we alluded to earlier, we're about to change the frequency of this show. Less daily, more bi-weekly. Partly it's because we figure you might be getting sick of hearing us every day, you know, the 1pm press conferences have ended after all. But... Also, it's kind of partly because, like many other companies, the squeeze is going on at stuff, and frankly, I've been told to take a bunch of leave before the end of the financial year in June, so I'm going to have some long weekends.
0: Yeah, it's no secret, is it? The company's trials and tribulations have been playing out somewhat ironically in the media. but bit weird reading about this stuff. Taste your own medicine, I suppose. Anyway, one of the direct implications is the reduction in the frequency of the podcast. We considered three days a week, but then thought, since it's level two, let's go for two shows a week. Let's hope we don't go back up to level four, eh?
1: So I guess the financial squeeze means we don't get to go to our usual ad agency to help us come up with a new tagline to replace Daily Stuff Podcast.
0: Our usual ad agency? Nope, we'll just have to wing it, just like we did at the start of the show, seven weeks ago.
1: Seven weeks seems like a lifetime. It was the Friday before lockdown that we first got together to sketch out the shape of a podcast. We recorded a pilot episode, which has, thankfully, never hit the airwaves. Actually, in truth, it wasn't all that much rougher than the first episode that did go online.
0: True. And then on the Monday, as we prepared for that first show, which was going out that night, the Prime Minister announced that we were going into level four lockdown in 48 hours time. Away we went. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in since then. And do keep on listening. We've got a few tweaks to make to the show from next week. But basically, we'll be back on Tuesdays and Thursdays, bringing you the mix of the serious and the silly that you've become accustomed to.
1: Later on the show... Jennifer Te Atamira Ward-Leland, New Zealander of the Year. Jennifer has been a familiar face on stage and screen for decades and is the president of the Actors' Union Equity. She talks to us about the Zoom-based play she's currently starring in, how the performing arts have coped during the COVID crisis, and what it takes to persist with te reo Māori if you started learning it during lockdown. But first, what's happened today?
0: One new case today, and it's linked to the Marist College Cluster in Auckland. Now, get this. The person had symptoms two months ago and was tested, but returned a negative result. But now they've been tested again as part of a programme across the whole school, and positive. Positive.
1: New Zealand has officially joined growing international calls for an independent inquiry into the origins and development of the pandemic. A spokesperson for the Ministry of Health told Staff the inquiry should examine countries and organisations' actions in the early days of the outbreak to see where we can all improve in the future.
0: But a bit of breaking news here, Adam, and it's quite close to home. Just got an email to our inbox, viruspod at staff.co.nz. It's from the Chinese embassy and it's in connection with Winston Peters' comments in his interview yesterday saying that China did not want New Zealand to go into lockdown. The statement from the embassy says, and I quote, China respects the lockdown decision made by New Zealand government and has never dissuaded New Zealand from going into lockdown. We hope that certain people in New Zealand will stop spreading disinformation and creating trouble and work to enhance instead of undermining bilateral mutual trust and cooperation. End quote. Kylie Klein-Nixon, hi.
2: Hi, how's
0: it going? Pretty good. Well, actually, I'm under a duvet tent because... You know, lockdown life ending means traders all back to work. So there's a concrete cutter next door,
1: which is fun. But apart from that, I'm good. Oh. When he says tent, he means uh, a tent whose poles are his arms. And although he's an athlete, <laughs> I, I I can tell that he's getting tired already. And we're like 15 seconds into this call.
2: I feel your pain there. when the when the traffic started again, I actually had a I actually made my you know chest ache with sadness.
0: Yeah, we've had to deal with all of that because we are deeply ensconced in level two now. But look, we loved your piece on stuff, looking back at the hot mess and and the goodness of lockdown. It was fantastic.
1: Well, thank you. One of the things I, I liked about it is that so Eugene and I have been, you know, making a coronavirus podcast every single day since just before lockdown. And so we're and, and we've always been keeping our eye out for the interesting and weird stuff as well as the the grown-up hmm. news. And yet reading your piece, I realized there's just still so much stuff we missed. I mean, um, perhaps most importantly, I had not seen Laura Daniels' Jacinda Ardern cake, which <gasps> If anyone hasn't seen it it is truly horrifying okay so if you can imagine How did you sort miss of it? I I don't know I have no idea but but I'm looking at it now and it's like it's a skull that somebody has then like glued <laughs> lots of Medusa style snakes to the top and those are made of licorice um, and then the eyes have got that the horror of you know the, it's it's the um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the scene all the Nazis melt, and you just see their eyes and their skulls. The only bit that feels authentically jacinda to me is the smile and the teeth are, are pretty good, i got to say.
2: It is the most unnerving waxwork you've ever seen before, isn't it?
1: For our, to remind us, name-check for us a few of those cultural moments that you, that you identified. And, and in particular, I want to hear about the... I mean, talk about the ones that fam- some other famous f- folk did, but I want to hear about your karaoke Disco at the end as well.
2: Oh, we karaoked so much. We karaokeed more under lockdown than I think we do. And we're a family that likes to karaoke. So my cousin set it all up for us. She often has karaoke parties at her house, and it was it was terrible. Every every time it was terrible. Nothing synced up. <laughs> we, we we sang with our friends in the UK, and the songs never matched who was singing at the time. It was all terrible, <laughs> but it was also absolutely glorious because we were all in it together and we were all dancing in our living rooms and my mum would join in and our friends in the UK. And it was just, it was just about, it wasn't about the karaoke, but then karaoke is not really about karaoke, is it? It was about coming together and being able to connect when we were all really kind of terrified, I think, and terrified. We might never see each other again, all sorts of things, you know, but then whether we were on a Friday night, Singing sisters of mercy to each other, so it was great. It was great.
0: There were other musical contributions to lockdown as well. There weren't there? I mean, notwithstanding the greatness of your karaoke.
2: <laughs> so Don McGlashan, he's actually doing another set of concerts, but he he performed on on a Friday night and a Saturday morning, and it was just like a love letter from him to all of New Zealand. It was it was really wonderful. It was like sitting in his living room. Actually, I think he was in his dining room having him play to us. It was, it was wonderful. Um, and then Reese Darby, he was lucky to be locked down with a, a whole bunch of creative people up north, and he created an entire TV show in his backyard. It was really, it was a lot of fun, and he just did it on the fly as something to do to pass the time. It was great.
0: There was so much creative brilliance came out of lockdown, wasn't there? I mean, the internet was flooded with it. I I was particularly taken with there was a I don't know if you saw this. There was a BBC sports commentator called Andrew Cotter, and he started started creating videos (gasps) of him and his dogs. Yes, Olive and Mabel, they were hilarious, weren't they?
2: That was sensational.
0: We ever attempted to do anything similar with Dulcie? Is it Dulcie? Is that how
2: I say your your
0: beautiful doggo's name? Dulcie.
2: Dulcie. That's right. You had some beautiful moments with her. I really did, and we. She was such a foil between. I was locked down with my mum, so there's just the two of us. It could have got could have got nasty, and um. But she was always there in the middle of us, you know, looking cute, breaking up fights, and we didn't fight. But you know, she was just such a nice addition. I don't know how we would have got through without her. Plus, she made us leave the house twice a day. So
1: yeah. Hey, look, the other thing which you uh, talked about getting you through, apart from Dulce, was baking. Uh, you started with scones. <laughs> there was a little bit of insation around the country. We, we of course, <sighs> talked to you in the middle of the lockdown about this um, as part of the, the WTF Where's the Flower Investigation, which is, has been recognised by many people, well, at least by two people, as a high watermark of New Zealand investigative probing. journalism. Probing. Probing. It was very probing. But, uh, but it didn't stop there. You moved on to Custard Squares. Is that right?
2: Yeah, you know, I think I think I reached a peak when I baked 3 things in one day, which was, you know, most people will bake one, maybe two. I got to a th- I was a 3-day baker. 3 a day baker. And then I made I thought, "Well, I've got to try this thing because I really wanted one and I didn't want to go out and try and find one anywhere or get one a supermarket version." So I thought, "Right, I'm going to make myself a custard square." And I did it.
0: You peaked with the custard square. But the, the overwhelming sense that came through was of oh, one of, and, and you wrote this beautifully, of the, the nation's kindness. I mean, some of it was state-sanctioned, wasn't it? There was those signs and the Prime Minister was always encouraging us. But but we really yeah, embraced yeah. it, didn't we? Good on us.
2: Um, I, I thought about it after I wrote that piece. And I don't think it was us changing as much as it was us kind of peeling away sort of some modern life dross that we'd accumulated back to what is really a core Kiwi personality which is you know looking after your mates and thinking about your community and that is what we've always done and that's who we kind of became we kind of winnowed away all the rubbish and what was left was us being basically pretty decent people I I think and well that's what I saw I was unfortunate to see anyway there are always going to be a few bad eggs of course but You know, we didn't lose any of our sense of humour during this either, you know, and from Hilary Barry's formal Fridays through to, you know, Rhys Darby's show, we were able to kind of make each other laugh too, and I think that was our saving grace.
0: You write that bubble became uh, a synonym for who you're looking out for, which I thought was a really lovely way to put it too.
2: Yeah, I think so too. You always ask you always check who's in your bubble, what's you know, who's around you, who's looking after you and who are you looking after. I thought that was that's how it felt to me whenever people would ask. It was just checking in that we weren't doing it on our you know, doing it tough on our own. And um yeah, you know, I I'm gonna miss that bubble. I'm gonna miss the bubble thing.
1: Yeah. Look, so much, is, so much is changing now, as now that we're on level two. But uh, on some of these things, I think particularly in terms of the kindness, we're, we're not really out the other side. It's level two, not level zero. Um, I guess mm. we're going to have to mm. still keep on showing some of that kindness, looking out for each other, being a bit sensible.
2: You can do it in little ways, you know, just keep saying hello to people in your neighbourhood. That's this tiny, tiny thing that people can keep doing. That is tremendous.
1: Okay, I'll do it. Kylie Klein-Nixon, <laughs> hey, thanks. thanks for chatting. Thanks, guys. A jam-packed email inbox today. First up, Andrew Ricard got in touch about our discussion on masks earlier in the week. We talked about the Ministry of Health's review, which concluded that New Zealanders don't need masks for day-to-day use. And we talked about Singapore as an example of a country that's introduced compulsory mask wearing, but where there's since been a rise in case numbers. Well, Andrew lives in Singapore and has to wear a mask every time he leaves the front door. Or face a fine. He says, please don't use the right he says, please don't use the rise in case numbers as an argument that masks don't work. He says there's another big factor at play here. And that's the fact that many of the new cases in Singapore are from dormitories for migrant workers. In other words, the infection was spreading between people who are inside rather than outside. Andrew Andrew also says whether masks do or don't make a difference, at the very least Masks are a constant reminder to everyone that things are not normal and we need to be alert, which is an interesting take on it, I think. Oh, Andrew also has this to say, love the dad jokes. He's a good bloke that, Andrew. We also got several
0: emails about the episode where Thomas Cogland talked about the legal challenge to the lockdown. First one's from Amy. She says until she heard that episode, she hadn't really considered the issue of legality. She writes... Actually, it's the beauty of a democracy, opposition questioning and the law giving checks and balances and, dare I say it, independent media proving its worth. Amy's also got a suggestion for a future episode, which does sound brilliant. Hairdressers talking about post-lockdown hair fixes. Hmm. Just uh, looking at the video chat here, Adam, I see that no one's had a chance to attend to your
1: disastrous head. (laughs) Disastrous head. That's a... That's... That's not... not, Also... (laughs) Also on the Thomas Scoghlan lockdown law episode, Ranjit Singh wrote to say, maybe we should have an independent inquiry into the handling of the lockdown. He raises some of the things that didn't seem right to him, including this. Why was booze deemed an essential service when, in general, hands-on therapies for chronic, acute, disabled, injured and post-surgical patients weren't? Thanks for the thoughtful email,
0: Ranjit. Just a quick one from Victoria Smith, who wrote to say thanks for the Winston Peters interview. Then she added, with regards to WTF, that's... Where's the flower? I'm embarrassed to admit that I think it could have been me. I ordered what I thought was a kilo of flour online and was sent a 10 kilo bag. I apologise to the people of Wellington.
1: Well, we're just going to have to wait and see how forgiving they are once that bombshell drops, Victoria. Last one from the mailbag today. Remember Alison Perkins? She's the Kiwi slash Aussie who went diving in Mexico, got stuck because of COVID-19, then climbed into her hotel cupboard and recorded a voice memo for us a few weeks ago. She said then that she'd got her visa approved and was about to head home. And best of all, she offered to bring us a couple of kilos of Mexican flour. Well, guess what? She's emailed us another voice memo. There's a little bit of bad news in the covering email. She says, Sorry guys, due to luggage restrictions, I wasn't able to bring any flour back from Mexico. This is a terrible shame. But for the rest of Alison's story, I'll let her speak for herself.
3: Well, I'm back in New Zealand now. I'm in a managed isolation facility in central Auckland, also known as a hotel. Today is day nine for me of my two-week isolation. But I have a question for you guys, and my question is this. Why don't we test people coming into New Zealand for the virus? Uh, my path back to New Zealand was a a, quite a trial. I had to travel through Quintana Roo, which is one of the states of Mexico that has the highest rates of infection. From there, I had to pass through the United States, which as we know, has been a, a real hotbed for virus transmission. I went through Dallas and then Los Angeles to eventually get back to Auckland to come into isolation. So although I tried to take lots of precautions during my trip, it did occur to me on my travels that the opportunity to become infected, well there were there were lots of those opportunities. I'm feeling really well in isolation. Physically, I'm showing no signs of the virus. I feel great. But knowing that people can be asymptomatic carriers and that people coming into the country are probably one of the vectors through which the virus could make a resurgence here, I wondered whether you or your listeners could shed some light on why we don't bother testing these people coming in. Uh, Thanks for the podcast. I'm loving it. Keep it up.
1: So, Alison, that seems a really good question. And we... Don't really know the answer. Yeah, so I just gave Stuff's political reporter
0: Thomas Manchabel to see if he knew why the tests aren't universal for all returning Kiwis. Thomas said that this very question was asked a couple of weeks ago at the Daily Press Conference. Back then, the reason given was that the testing had to be carefully prioritised. But some of the testing criteria has loosened since then, so it seems like it's worth asking again.
1: I had a quick look on the covid19.govt.nz website and yeah, it talks about new arrivals who are symptomatic being given a test and put in quarantine, while people without any symptoms are sent to a different hotel for their managed isolation. But I, I can't see anything that directly explains why you aren't all getting tests.
0: The plot thickens. I feel another investigation coming along. The only question is, can we get it completed before Alison dives back into regular life untested? Right. Plague Playlist. Ah, uh, 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 not so fast there, maestro. Today, for reasons that will become clear, the Plague playlist entrant will be playing later in the show. Ah,
1: that's right. I shall be patient. What about the Lorenzen Isolation Joke Station, then?
0: Well, first of all, there have been some stern representations from the Lorenzen family. The interview we ran yesterday was so long that we ran out of time for a bad dad joke. Sorry, Amy, Kerry, Georgia and Cailin. Was the Deputy Prime Minister, but perhaps we could have
1: trimmed him back a bit. Well, the least you can do is double up today.
0: All right. Adam, what did O say to 8?
1: I don't know. What did O say to 8?
0: Hey, nice belt.
1: (laughs) uh, uh,
0: Yeah, good. Also, Adam, I meant to say I've written a song about tortillas. Oh, yeah? Actually, it's more of a rap.
1: No! (laughs) Jennifer... Te Ward-Leland, 2020's New Zealander of the Year, has had a pretty busy lockdown. She's one of the stars for this remarkable series of online theatrical performances that the Auckland Theatre Company is doing. It's a serialised adaptation of Chekhov's The Seagull, and actors have just one week per episode, I guess you'd call them, to learn their lines and perform each instalment. And somehow it's all done via Zoom. So we've caught up with Jennifer as she's about to head online for her latest rehearsal ad maria jennifer and welcome
4: morena thank you so much for having me so how
1: has lockdown been for you were you missing the the physical contact with people or are you loving the quiet or a bit of both
4: i would it's fair to say that there's been an arc to my my lockdown the first week i was kind of numb as all of my jobs toppled like dominoes so i found that quite um, uh, quite a lot to take in because I had a whole lot of work lined up, particularly after the New Zealander of the Year thing. And then, uh, and then you know, it all stopped. It all went away. And so that first week, yeah, numb. Second week, I was probably went a little bit downwards in my spirits because I went, well, is that it for the entire year? I won't have any work. And then I kind of picked, got my mojo back. I just, you know, reminded myself that for 35 of my 40 years as a freelancer, I've never really known what's going to happen six months ahead of the game. So yeah, I got that back. And then I got this lovely job with ATC. So I am spending my days rehearsing. And even though, you know, it's a challenge, because how do you deliver theatre without an audience? And and how do we present theatre without actors in a room together? But, you know, we're keeping on going. And ATC have come up with this wonderful piece, um, uh, adapted and directed by uh, Eli Kent and Eleanor Bishop. And so we are, you know, like what what are people doing in New Zealand right now? And that's having conversations and drinking wine online. So that's how we're doing this Chekhov, this wonderful play. And uh, instead of the action taking place at a Russian country estate, it's happening on Zoom.
1: Now, the thing is, I'm always interested when I watch a play and people drink alcohol on stage. I always think, now, is that real wine or is that fake wine? So as you do this from home, You know, the boundaries could blur. Is that real wine or is it fake wine?
4: It's fake. You do not want to be on stage with your (laughs) senses impaired. Believe me. No, um, you know, there are a lot of lines to hold in your head and uh, anything that gets in the way of you retaining them would be a stupid way to go.
1: Can you briefly explain how it works? You know, how is this play done?
4: We do an act a week, as you said in your introduction, and we get the script on a Monday morning. We have a read through uh, and they, uh, Eli and Ellen will make some tweaks. And then on Tuesday, we're into rehearsing it. I have to say you have to be really on to the Zoom thing. For instance, if you're making an entrance where you are cutting in on somebody, boy, you better be standing by with your finger on that unmute or that show video uh, button and not press too hard so you get yourself off again. You know, it still feels like a rehearsal. And I'm very happy to be with my tribe, even if I'm not with them in person. I very much feel like I'm part of a theatrical event. And then I get up early on the day of our shoot, if you like, get my hair done, my makeup on and and then we're away.
0: You mentioned the, the breaks that went on your own performances and your own career when lockdown kicked in. It dropped a bomb, didn't it, on the performing arts. You're president of the Actors' Union Equity. So what has been the impact?
4: It's fair to say that it's pretty grim out there. And, and of course, I'm very concerned about theatre and many of the venues around Auckland. You know, in, in Level 2, you can't really operate a theatre. So obviously no gatherings of more than 100. And, and social distancing rules make theatre seating Pretty tricky. You can put people apart, but how are you going to get them into the theatre and past each other in the row and all of that kind of thing? I don't think we're going to see theatre happening really, you know, before September, October, and then maybe that's going to get the flu season out of the way. It has been tough for for venues because they're an essential part of a, a very sort of delicate arts ecosystem, mm. you know, all of the venues and the artists and the creatives and the technicians were all kind of inextricably linked. Certainly with the union, we have been very careful to look after our community. We're seeing a hell
0: of a lot more unemployment in just about every sector. Many people, as you've said, within your industry are used to stints of unemployment. It's kind of goes with part of the job. But what what tips... Can you give to the rest of us, people who are facing unemployment, maybe for
4: the first time? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've been talking to a lot of drama students online recently, and I'm always careful to tell them that you really have to be careful about the recording that you're playing in your head, about being a failure or being useless, or if you're not acting, then you're not an actor, and about what you def- how you define yourself i think it's very difficult i mean just back to actors for a second if you just say i am an actor and then you're not in work then the tendency is to say well i'm not an actor anymore and then who am i and then my whole sense of self has gone so i'm careful to frame it in the i act as a job or i'm primarily working in the arts as an actor not i am this person you know what mm. i mean it's you yes. know how do you, you define yourself and also yeah so i think very very careful to to turn the volume down on the unhelpful kind of recordings in your head you were awarded
1: new zealander of the year in february i guess that's an honor at any time but in the middle of a national crisis did it make you feel any sort of pressure that you should i don't know do something New Zealander of the Yearish to to get us all through.
4: Yeah, it was very odd. It feels like a, a year ago, Adam, and I, you know, I really only had a kind of a few weeks to kind of get used to that. And I did have a lot of talks lined up, which I was really, mm. really looking forward to. I, I generally speak to about any, this is outside of New Zealander of the Year, I speak to about 15 to 20 groups a year. I just go around and talk about, you know, my life as an actor or my journey towards te reo Māori or, uh, you know, the arts. And I love that. That's just my sort of my mahi hearts, my my community work. Mm. So I was, you know, I had a lot of that kind of thing lined up. And then those, of course, all toppled because they all involve large groups of people. So it was really like it was just, you know, a gate was put up. But whether I got that or not, I would still be doing this work because it's something that uh, I'm passionate about and uh, people seem to enjoy listening to. So I'm really just sort of looking forward to kind of getting back out there and doing that stuff. Hmm. So so how do you think we've coped as a nation? I, I think we've been extraordinary. I feel so privileged to be at, the, at the, the bottom of the earth on this island. And I think it's going to mean that we're going to be back out of the blocks so much quicker than... In many other countries because we've done it so well. So I'm, I'm a very proud New Zealander.
0: You've been a huge advocate for te reo Māori. Arguably lockdown was a great time to start. Did you hear if it was, if people did?
4: This, this happens. I think there's been a huge, this is the time for me to learn a language and there was an enormous interest in uh, in taking online classes, which is fabulous. The proof will be whether they, that continues throughout the year, I think. You know, I've seen it a lot over the years. You can get people who are interested for 10 weeks and then that's enough for them. And that's okay. You know, that, that's totally fine to at least get some basic grounding in, in the reo. It's really wonderful. I would say on a larger scale, I've seen such a sea change. When I started learning 12 years ago, the question I often got in interviews was Why? And, you know, what are you going to use it for? And kind of like, what's the point? And it was really, I felt like I really had to defend it. And and now the question, I'd say, particularly in the last four to five years, the question is never that. The question is, how did you learn and where can I learn? So I, I think the sea change is you know, well and truly happened, and maybe COVID's given it uh, this lockdown has given it a bit more of a push, which is great. So anything that gives it a push, I'm happy about. So if somebody has,
0: say, spent the last six or seven weeks learning, what's the key to keeping on going?
4: Ah, uh, yes. Well, keeping on going is the key, and the, and the key is to find. Um, well, my advice to anybody is find a friend who's on your level, and and. Keep talking to them, make a decision to, 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 test each other on various things and try, try things out. And then find a little group. Maybe we have a group in Tamaki Makaurau called Kapa Korero. You can find us on Facebook and we meet online once a week on Zoom, but we also meet once a month in a pub for, and the, the, the kopapa is Korero Māori. And, uh, so that's really, you know, lovely. Um, stress free environment to be on it doesn 't matter what level you are and and then, yeah, there are so many online things to access um, there 's Tefanake is a wonderful uh, resource to hook into with lots of little um, uh, sections that you can do on particular types of grammar so that 's you know there 's a lot out there and I always go, you can put a million strategies out there, but actually it 's the person 's desire that 's going to be the leader. Mato Nako Iarahi. It's your heart that is going to guide you.
1: Hey look, final question. You're a fantastic singer. So we really should have warned you of this, but we wanted to ask a favor of you. We've got this thing <laughs> called <laughs> Don't worry, we're not about to make you sing. Though actually if you want to, you, could, you never know. You could, you
4: could. It depends. <laughs> depends what the question
1: is. Okay, so we've got this thing called Plague Playlist. Have you got a song or a piece of music that's particularly got you through or that's amused you or has been a thing for you during the lockdown?
4: Yes, I've been. I had the the privilege of watching uh, the tribute to Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday with all of these wonderful singers singing his material. And I've been a fan of Sondheim since 19... 19- Eighties uh, when I first saw a show called Side by Side by Sometime, and I ended up performing in that show for three different productions and my favorite song is um I'll sing you a little bit."
5: tall and tender like an apollo he goes walking by and i have to follow him the boy from tacarim bala tumba del fuego santa maliga sacategas lohontotel soli cruz when we meet i feel i'm on fire and i'm breathless every time i inquire how are things in Takarim bala tumba del fuego santa maliga sacategas lohontotel Anyway, I'm going, to, I'm going to hop to the end because it's
4: a story about unrequited love. Um, but you have to hear the end because this is where
5: sometimes l- l- lyrics are genius. Though I smile, I'm only pretending because I know two days the last I'll be spending with the boy from Takarimba, la tumba del fuego, Santa Maligra, Sacategas, Lujon, Totel, Cruz. Tomorrow he sails. He's moving to Wales to live in. And the piano goes.
4: Wonderful. The guy's obviously gay and he's never going to love her, but. Boy, does she love him. <laughs> you just won the plague playlist. Woo-hoo! <laughs> and here's a lovely quote. There's a wonderful quote from Edmund Burke. Stories are equipment for living. Isn't that gorgeous? Beautiful. Yeah, and so I think, you know, performers are part of a 2,000-year-old history and we're just not going to be going anywhere.
1: On that note, Jennifer ward Te Atamira, thank you very much.
4: Tena koe, tena
1: That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Friday, the 15th of May. I'm Adam Dudding, he's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Kylie Klein Nixon, Jennifer Te Atamira, Ward Leland, Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crutzen, and Carol Hitchville.
0: That's it for another week. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email viruspod at stuff.co.nz. If you want to support Stuff's journalism by making a financial contribution, go to the link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. As we said at the top of the show, that's it for our daily offerings. From next week, we're down to twice a week. So we'll see you again on Tuesday.
1: (laughs) Dopo bachenya.